righty, folks. Welcome back to the Mushing Alaska podcast. We're your hosts, Brendan and Sean. And as always, a pleasure to bring you another episode. We're excited to bring you um, our next episode with Rob Cook. And well, before we get into all that, Sean, good to see you, brother. A little good bit disappointed. You, a little bit disappointed, though. The last time we did one of these... You were sitting like right over here, right next to me. That was nice. And well, things have changed. You're back in Alaska. Uh, what's good, brother? Oh, uh, you know, I, uh, it's nice to be back. It's snowing and and uh, very wintry, and and that's you know soothing. It's dark and and. Uh, you know, I'm not mad about it. It was really nice getting to leave the state. And uh, I think it's something that everybody in Alaska, if they have the privilege to do it, uh, to leave Alaska for once or twice in every winter is um, a game changer for sure. Come back and you have some serious. Excuse me so much. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Please let, uh, let me bless you with many blessings. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it's nice to be back. Whereas before I left, I was like, ah, man, it's already getting pretty dark. And it's like, uh, what do you do? The snow. And now I'm back. I'm like, ooh, the snow. Ah. So it's just a nice kind of reset button. And uh, and yeah, things are good, man. Things are good. How about yourself? How you doing? All is good. Um, just the hecticness of of where we are in the year, you know, and uh, the holidays. Kind of like wrapping up things with uh on a work perspective um and then like we have our two-year-old jess and i and uh daycares out for the next couple weeks so it's like we've got work we've got our son home with us we both work from home so um essentially today is as we record is like the last day of freedom that we've had and then we just go balls to the wall so uh tis the season though and uh Got to take advantage of seeing different folks. And uh, yeah, so all is good, my guy. Also, I just want to comment here. I'm working on the background behind me. It's a slow process, okay? Sean, I know you're laughing right now. All right, we got Sean's shirt over here. We mentioned that in the last one. Um, right here, we got the Cusco 300 hat. I recently found a postcard, uh, Alaska postcard with Denali there in the back. So I'm just going to throw it out there. If there's anyone listening that wants to send your boy like a drawn picture of Alaska or something, essentially what I'm thinking about doing is putting a bookcase behind me and kind of like just piecing things together as we continue this, this, this ride of this podcast. So I'd love to start like building a collection behind me. I'm just throwing it out there. And seeing if anyone, like, if there's any loyal fans that are like, yeah, man, we got this cool thing to send you. Like, you know, you got your posters in the background and it's probably easier for you to, like, find paraphernalia for, you know, mushing and whatnot, but not for your boy. So figure out, yeah, just throw that I, out there. I have some backup posters I should have brought, brought you next time. Next time I will. Um yeah, I see. It's funny, like the slight changes. It's just like we never have the same thing going on behind us. But we'll one day we'll figure it out. You just like gonna take the postcard and rotate it like twelve degrees, just like some Professor Chaos stuff. Just making these slight changes so that people are like, huh? No, no so my my idea is actually uh, 
So with Tiny Desk, right? They have they have the backgrounds that studio and they have those bookshelves behind. And when Medium Build went, when Nick Carpenter went uh for he was playing for Quinn, right? Or whatever, yeah. He was telling he was telling me that he put like a little, I think it was like a Lego, or I forget exactly what he said, but he put it like on the bookshelf. And I, I think that when artists go, they keep like adding little memorabilia. Uh, so I was cool. like, that'd be kind of cool if like we could do that, or I could do that at least to like make make my home here in Atlanta feel a little bit more mushing friendly and whatnot. So yeah. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to just do a quick shout out for anyone watching on YouTube. I'm wearing this like tie dye shirt. It says Indian Pass on it. So last time Sean and I, uh, we, I talked about. I asked him what was his best time here in Atlanta and. One of the highlights he mentioned was uh, an oyster fest we had with our father, and uh, well, Indian Pass is one of like it's one of maybe one or two different locations that kind of like really popped our cherry with oysters growing up, and so <laughs> I was just like, you know what? Instead of putting on the uh, the uh, Blackhawk expert shirt, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna put on this Indian Pass shirt yeah. and think about the oysters. I'm wearing the same shirt in the same place. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That nah, yeah. is insane. Wow. We did not literally know. Like, we've barely even spoke today. Sean's kind of starting to get sick or start maybe starting to feel better. I don't know. But we haven't talked at all. Unplanned. Dude, that is why we are freaking brothers, man. Yeah, the back of the shirt. Uh, I got my blurry background. Hold on. Like, whatever you'll, you'll you'll believe it but yeah i got got my indian pasture on nice nice well listen man i miss you but i'm glad that you're back in in alaska and i'm sure you're kind of glad to get a little bit of uh space from all the like oversensitivity and uh just like you're i feel like i said last time you're just like non-stop going so i'm sure it's nice to like uh, not be balls to the wall um but I, we we digress. I digress. And um, well, let's get into things, man. Um, while we while we were while you were flying back to Alaska, the ace race was going on. And, um, you know, we got the results and uh, just thought uh, I was going to pull up the uh, the results. But unfortunately, the uh, website is not working right now. And we'll talk about that in a second as well. But um, yeah, what was your thoughts on uh, the the results, Sean? Yeah, it's like uh, I think we weren't surprised to see Emily Robinson and Dave Turner up there. I think uh, Jesse Holmes is like handler came in fourth, and uh, but Josh McNeil, that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, um, I wasn't necessarily guessing that he was going to be a podium finish, so that was uh that's kind of cool um but yeah you know i still look at this event as like a it's a social thing and it's you know there is a some competitiveness to it but you know it's not you're winning a few hundred bucks or whatever to, to get in third place i think he may be less than maybe like 300 bucks or something i don't know so um yeah it was cool to see 
uh, Josh up there and and then Emily, you know, she's got a fast dog team and she's going to be doing some longer races uh, from than what she's been doing uh, in like last winter. I think she's maybe a connect 200. Maybe I'm, I'm not I sure. I think That's right. I do think that's right. So that's going to be kind of cool to see, you know, I mean, the reality is, is like, if you have your team dog team, like trained up to like be in shape, you know, you just go 63 miles and let like, let them, let them go and exactly. let them run. And it's not like too complicated, but, but what the, the you know, that's not the, the little, the result, like you got to have fast dogs and you got to have put in the time, you know, conditioning them. Um, but, you know, to see, I'm excited to see uh, Emily do the 200 and see, you know, kind of the transition to doing something yeah. a little longer um, and some of the new, you know, challenges and variables that come along with that. And, uh, you know, Dave Turner, I'm excited to see him this year. He's been like consistently doing really solid in all these mid-distance races. And, you know, he's just kind of one, just one step away from pulling off something special this winter. So uh, it's good to see him out there doing his thing. Yeah, man. Um, I agree with you. I'm interested to, you know, I feel like Emily is a name over the last few seasons where we've seen her really do well. Um, And so I'm kind of excited to see her in a longer distance race. Uh, At the same time, I have to remind myself, I believe we've discussed she's only 15 years old, right? Yeah, she's uh I think 15 and like I totally view her as like 30, you know. She's just like so so savvy with the dogs. Her dad Walter is a really accomplished Alaskan outdoorsman and um I'm sure it's a lot of help uh behind the scenes and uh you know at this point she's done such a you know she's done a couple of junior i did her odds and this ace race a few times and i'm not like you know i've i I don't even really mention in my head i'm not thinking oh yeah she's like 15 wow that's amazing i'm like at this point she's just been there so long for these couple years you know and it's like not surprising anymore and then I got, you, you kind of have to take a step back and be like, oh yeah, she's like 15, you know, like, you know, it's like kind of like when we're watching tennis sprinter and you see someone like these players that are like getting to the semifinals of a, of a major at 15, 16 years old. And then right. you like wait four years, which is a long time. And mm-hmm. they're like, they haven't won a major yet or whatever. And it's like, well, they're still only 20, you know? So it's like, imagine Emily, after 10 years, she's still only going to be 25. You know, what, what's going to 20, what's 25 going to look like if she's still doing it? But, you know, who knows what life will bring. And if it's, it's tough to commit to this lifestyle for your, you know, for a long time. Um, but we hope that she does. And, and, uh, you know, yeah, imagine, you know, Emily crushing it in five, 10, 15 years, you know, and she's already with the best of them. And it's, you know, a testament not just to her, but to her dad and her dogs. Her dogs are friggin' fast, dude. They're some of the fastest dogs on the planet. Um, and just, we'll see how they do as they kind of transition to these longer distances. It's kind of exciting, and I I expect nothing less than su- success, whatever that. Yeah, may. I mean, 
I guess uh, the reason I bring up the age is just because from the standpoint of transitioning from like a 50 mile race to a 200 mile race. And I feel like at least on my well, she's end, done at 150, you know, too. So that's true. That's what she the junior Iditarod is, is oh, a 150. Yeah. yeah. So like doing an extra 50 is really, I guess that's a good point. It's almost a conservative leap of like, yeah, you're just going from 150 to 200. Like that is a big difference, but it's also like, a very like gentle upgrade right and and that's good it's good to like take your time you know and uh i think a lot of people in mushing really you know jump into it and that's cool but i think there's something to be said for like enjoying the process taking your time like you don't need to like start learning how to mush run a 300 mile race the first winter you know it's kind of like it's gonna really i think pay off to be going and doing these kind of this gentle upgrade in distance and well i mean i don't even know if she's looking to go and run i did her out or not but or run a 300 mile race or not but it's just you, you would assume so you know that's kind of like the yeah. next progression and the more people you know everybody even people that are like oh i just want to stick to mid distance like they usually end up like well eh, we might as well sign up for the long big one so yeah that's kind of what you expect eventually and uh you know this the, the nice like gentle process of getting just slowly going up into bigger distances and you know that's it's only going to be beneficial for everybody nice right on well um yeah uh the last thing i'll kind of comment on the ace race um i saw that there was just like maybe a 20 minute video of uh the post side of the race i guess they were doing in and out awards i didn't get to watch the whole thing but i just it looked like a good time it looked like everyone was um just enjoying being around each other and you know they were handing out different awards and certificates and such and um i just like i was like man that would be fun to be in there and like just be grabbing a beer with everyone and um you know like they're all having side conversations while it's going on i just thought it was kind of cool so yeah it's a really fun environment in that bar and and the bondies put together a great event and uh yeah you know there we had a sour note of how it ended yeah it has nothing to do with the event at all but people always are mushing i mean basically all the all the lodge is doing is providing like a place to stay some food some drinks some and they are sponsoring mushing you know they're uh, they're giving people a place to stay and it's they've been a huge part of the mushing scene over the last several years uh you know and they're not it's not like they're like they're they're throwing a lot of money at mushing and it's not like they get much in return except for you know our gratitude and uh and you know they just i like promoting that part of alaskan lifestyle um, but yeah, on the way back on Monday, a couple of days later, another, another snow machiner hit the dog team and, uh, yeah, some dogs passed away. It's pretty, I just can't believe it happened again within a month. You know, I think we're, we're all on the same team here. You know, it's like it's a lot of people are like, Oh, these snow machiners, this, and the, oh, these dog mushers that, and it's like, well, we all kind of want the same thing, which is to be out in the middle of nowhere, enjoying Alaska and wilderness uh safely and 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 have fun and and uh you know we no no snow machiner wants to run into a dog team and no dog team wants a snow machine to run into their dogs 
And, uh, you know, I think the lot, I think if there is a silver lining, you know, the first incident, it's was a big deal. The second incident, like, you know, I mean, you never would have thought it would happen right again. And I feel like it's really this, like, uh, what we're seeing on social media with um, there's, you know, the Denali highway, like recreational club or whatever I saw on Facebook. And they were saying like, Hey, this is what the snow machiner should do to avoid this from happening again. And Hey, this is what the dog musher should do, you know, but the, you know, snow machiners going slower and don't drink and drive. Don't, um, you know, keep in mind, you know, if the weather, if the visibility is shitty, then don't, you know, only go as far as you can see, you know, within reason, like if, if you're, if you can only see 20 yards ahead of you, maybe not the time to be ripping super fast. Uh, and on the other hand, the mushers, you know, getting as much reflective tape and reflective gear as you possibly can so that, you know, they can see you from a far away, you know, uh, I tell you what that reflective gear is understated. It's so, so easy to see from so far away, even in gnarly weather. Um, you know, when I'm, when I've been mushing or snow machining, you can see a trail marker really, really far away with a tiny little like inch, a square inch of reflector tape. So getting that and then having your lead dogs have some kind of light around their collar, you know? So, so I think a lot of good's going to come up with this. You're going to see some more signs on the highway. Um, but it's such a devastating thing to happen again to, um, Jim Lanier, Mike Parker, uh, actually Matt Pavelio, he's been helping out them. So it's like that same group of guys that, uh, are Sean Williams. Um, so, you know, a really tough loss, some incredible sled dogs, and it doesn't even matter if they're incredible sled dogs or they're terrible sled dogs, they're dogs, they're dead and it sucks and no one wanted it it's a total accident you can point fingers here point fingers there but ultimately we're just should get together make that make it every make this not happen again um or you know mitigate the risk as much as possible uh you know you, you can't we're still gonna go out mushing and they're still gonna go out snow machining so what can we do to you know share uh the trail in a safer way and you know this is a serious wake-up call and I think uh, ultimately, in the long term, it's gonna uh, get better. And you know, and I, I that's what I'm betting. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm an optimistic guy. Um, you know, I don't. I think it's really, uh, and and unfortunately, like you know, the Ace Race, uh, Alpine Creek Lodge. You know, there's probably a couple of mushers who got emotional and were pointing fingers at them. Why didn't they do this and they do that? It's like you know, they're just a lodge on a 130 mile long highway, you know, some snow machiners that were staying at their lodge surrounded by several other sled dog teams, several other snow machiners all weekend long. They know there's people out there. It's not on the Alpine Creek lodge. And look, there's some things the snow machiners might've been able to do differently, but you know, it's not like they, it was intentional. It, it, they maybe they were going too fast. Maybe the dog team didn't have reflective gear on. Maybe it was snowing and blowing. I don't know the finer details, but the last thing we need to do is be saying uh, shame on you and shame on you. How, what, how can we, how can we, you know, be on the same team, make this better. And it's, 
it's a microcosm for just the mushing community in general. You know, there's all this like there's there's we we do you know all we're all doing the same thing we're all lo like love dogs love the wilderness love alaska you know and may, you may have differences about how one person does thing one way and one person does something another way but um you know there's got to be that you know respect in that and that uh you know just be yearning for progress you know so that's hopefully what we get out of this. Dude, beautifully said, man. Mic drop on that. I like have other comments. I have questions. I don't feel like we need to add anything to that. I think that you really covered it comprehensively. And um, at the end of the day, you're right. Like snow machiners are still going to use that and mushers are still going to use it. And uh, so working more towards solutions and progress is better than tearing each other down and so uh let's just leave it there and so moving on we've got a couple smaller events coming up this weekend the solstice 50 the connect 100 so um we'll kind of be paying attention there and seeing what's going on again kind of similar in the sense of uh smaller races and um you know we won't like be paying too close attention but it'll just be interesting to kind of see the results uh, i don't know if you have any comments on either of those races yeah i think these are really important races in some ways uh not in the traditional sense of like this who wins this race really matters or like a, this is going to define who wins the iditarod or whatever now but it's cool like this is all these events ace race connect 100 solstice 50 are these are the events that every musher name that you've heard of is probably mostly not in and but their dogs are in it and they have every all these guys 90 percent of these mushers have help that they could not pull this thing off without help and these guys get to go and run the race that's a shorter distance hey I, you know a lot of people's first winter with sled dogs and this is their event of the year you know ah, we're gonna go and run 50 miles but these this dog team so uh you know i think it's a really uh cool to see you're going to see a lot of people's first races and second races and it's a social event and and uh and it's kind of cool to have the you know this is kind of the people that are in these races and around these races you know you might see them in the connect 200 next winter you might see them in the uh you know willow 300 next winter you might see them in some of these bigger races moving forward but you got to start somewhere back to that how you know emily's taking that progress of i do a 60 mile race 100 mile race 150 mile race 200 mile race. well you got it can't just you can start right at doing a 200 it's doable it's not for everybody um and there's no wrong no problem with starting you starting with a 50 mile race uh the connect 100 is a stage race i think it's uh it's, well 50 miles one day and then 50 miles the next day with a long break in between, you know, you think you start in the morning and you get back in the afternoon and, and then you do it again the next day. So that's kind of a, a cool way to, to do a hundred mile race. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see like how fast, like you go 50 miles, like for these races, it's kind of like not, it's, it's kind of like almost a sprint race, but not really. So like you might see these like 12, mile an hour speeds you know especially like the knick is flat uh, pretty much 
Uh, I'm not, I'm the Solstice 50s probably got some hills, but not, I'm not sure how much, but it'll be interesting to see like how fast you can, cause like, you know, these people that are winning the race are going to be winning the race and you know, it'll be interesting to see how fast they go. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like that. Um, so moving on, uh, a little intro to our interview with Rob cook, um, that I really enjoyed our time with him and I, I knew nothing about him before you mentioned him. Um, and so the first thing that stood out to me when we had him on is his accent, you know, having a, a British grandmother, uh, you know, and then I didn't know, I just assumed <laughs> we that, have a British grandmother to be clear, not, but Rob also has a British grandmother or had one, but yeah, just to be clear, our, yeah, thank, we, we are you. one quarter British, you know, not saying that's a huge deal, but you know, we'll have, you know, tea and crumpets and all that. Go ahead. But yeah, no, that just stood out to me. And off the bat, I was like, oh man, I'm going to like this guy. just like his accent. Um, but yeah, what was, uh, what was your takeaway? What, what were your thoughts after, um, I guess you've, you've seen him out on the, on, in a race before, right? Yeah. Uh, I have, uh, we saw him at the quest 300. He had just, we just gotten done with Birch Creek, which is one of those places that can be pretty easy. And, but a lot of times it's super cold and it's kind of a psychological place. Cause it's, it's winding river that goes, you know, east. it's really, you know, it's going, it, it's got a lot of switchbacks, you know, it's so like, let's say the river, if it's going, if it, if it goes North South, there's all these switchbacks that are going East West. I'm not sure the exact directions, but it's just like if you if you were to just go straight to the point and not stick go on the creek, right? It would be half the distance, but you're just going, you know, all these. So it's it's a trip going on Birch Creek, and I and he was I saw him out there, and it was you know he was having a tough run. I think maybe I I I don't know. I but uh, you know he's done. What stands out to me about Rob is like he's so experienced. I mean the dude has run like i don't know just that tens of thousands of miles behind a dog sled he's done it all pretty much all with siberian huskies like um you know that's a rare thing i i we talked a lot about why and and what's the difference you know and um it's pretty cool to see someone you know it was it was i think one thing i, I thought about him saying was like uh yeah i'm just like this british guy showing up to the yukon quest with siberian huskies like on paper that sounds like a terrible idea it's like who's this british guy <laughs> that siberian huskies showing up and so he was just made sure that be as trained up him and his dogs uh to go and do and pull off something like that and do it not just get to the finish line but you know do it with strongly um and yeah, you know, his, his dogs are kind of, you know, when you think of the like stereotype of the Siberian Huskies being slow and not pulling that hard and, and they're like the Hollywood Husky, you know, is, is what you hear a lot, um, in mushing, but, you know, look at Rob's resume, look at what he's done with his dogs. It's not that he's not just finishing these races. He's beating a lot of teams and, uh, 
you know, he's been doing it for a long time and he's a tough guy, really good with his dogs, clearly. And he, there's, he's got some great content on social media just of his, his, you know, if anyone's been around Siberian Huskies, they just got so much personality and, and, and like kind of attitude, you know, like in a fun way. And, and he's, he's able to kind of give you a little window into what that might be like. Um, so it was cool. It was cool to like learn about that. And, uh, it you know, I never really talked to Rob, but we met, you know, but I never really talked to him. And, uh, it was a, just a total joy to get to spend an hour hanging out with him. Yeah, honestly, it flew by. Um, and classy guy. Uh, it was, it was, there was a section where you guys just go down the rabbit hole on the whole Siberian thing. And, uh, it was super interesting to me because I, you know, like I just think of Huskies. I don't necessarily get into all the different like types of dogs, the way you all do, especially in the mushing world. So uh, it was really fascinating just to hear you guys talk about some of the differences and I learned a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was fascinating. I think that you all, when you listen to this, will enjoy it. Um, and um yeah, just like a lot of again, a lot of thanks to him for for joining us. Um, you know, we had reached out to him earlier and it didn't work out, so we're glad to get him back on or uh, circle back around and, and get him. And um, yeah, I don't know if you have any other any other thing yeah, you want to I mean, mention I, before we. <clears throat> I think like for all the you know, Alaska and Husky mushers, you know, I. I we always joke we had like a part of the tour that i did used to do would be like you know uh we we refer to the siberian huskies as like the victoria's secret models of sled dogs you know and uh or the calvin klein models or whatever but like you know i i think uh you know there's i've definitely seen let me put it this way i've definitely seen some siberian husky teams that kind of fit that bill you know other mushers i don't know who uh, but I've seen them on the trail and you're like, that's not an Alaskan rescue team. But like with, with Rob's team, it's kind of like, Oh, you know, those guys are, those guys are like the real deal. And it made me like, totally like have a, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know anything about like what it's like to mush Siberian Huskies. And I think I just gained a lot of respect based on what he's done over years and years and years and years with these dogs and thousands and thousands and thousands of miles super incredible musher and uh, excited to see him out on the iditarod trail this year um see and see what he can do he's got a really experienced team and you know he's he's experienced too so um you know total ton of respect for the, the siberians and these guys by the way to be clear his siberian huskies are not going to be the same as you know brennan's friend uriel and elena's Siberian Huskies you know these are these are working dogs um and you know they're they're not they're not the house dog of Siberians and it's and and I think one thing I you know was interesting is when he said you know you got you got to he's got to keep his line kind of like you know pure or, or whatever and not can't can't introduce Alaskan Huskies in it. and that's really tricky because there's not like that many Siberian teams in the Yukon territory or Alaska or wherever so yeah it's it's an interesting thing and i it seems like really difficult to do and uh like it's already difficult to mush but it seems like it's almost more difficult you know to got it now you got to be really particular about your genetics 
Whereas Alaskan Huskies, we, we got, you know, it's not, some people would say it's a month, some people wouldn't, but you know, they've got the reality is Alaskan Huskies do have German short hair pointers in them. They do have their ancestors that crossed the Bering land bridge all the way from Siberia across the frozen Bering sea 10,000 years ago to Alaska. Those are part of Alaskan Huskies, but there's also a lot of European dogs that came in when settlers showed up to Alaska and there was intentional breeding and unintentional breeding. Um, and so you kind of have this really dynamic dog in the Alaskan Husky. So it's, it's interesting to see, you know, this more, you know, for lack of a better word, pure, more narrow genetics is the narrow gene pool. Um, and still like be pretty freaking badass group of dogs. So total just ton of respect. You know, one other thing, just in hearing you uh, kind of talk a little bit more about it, that also just came to mind uh, was he was referring to how the Siberians don't require as much calorie intake. And I thought that was a very, very fascinating point that almost made me wonder why more mushers didn't consider that just from like, I mean, he was talking about half, half the half the calories almost. Right. Um, so that was super interesting. Yeah, they got as well. super thick coats. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the Alaskan Husky co the coats. There are some Alaskan Husky teams that have thick coats, and sometimes that's like in some cases that's a huge advantage, and in other cases it can be a disadvantage if you're, you know, the Iditarod like we've talked about and seen in years past. You know, it can be 40 degrees and raining and be super sunny, right? And yeah, but his Siberians are all mostly white. So the sun can reflect off a little bit better um, than the black, you know, uh, black Alaskan Husky or whatever. But yeah, that was that was a really interesting point that he's doesn't have to put his jackets on his dogs unless it's minus 20, minus 30 Fahrenheit or Celsius. I'm not sure because he's doing the Celsius thing, I guess. But yeah, uh, you know, he doesn't have to have to worry about as much of uh, keeping him warm and getting 10 to 12,000 calories like these Alaskan Huskies require out on the trail. You know, maybe he's more on the six to 8,000, depending on weather, depending on, you know, a ton of variables. And um, but yeah, that is that is fascinating. And I was like, all right, I get it. I get why you would do the Siberian thing, you know um yeah i so that that's a pretty good couple of reasons right there yep so uh i love it man we've done it again uh you know sean and i were talking before we we started recording the intro it's like all right i think we should just do a quick one i don't think there's too much we're gonna hit on and lo and behold we're like i, I don't know exactly i think we're like 30 minutes in so um gotta love it uh, we we pulled a typical Underwood brother thing here. We'll never get this intro down to just like a five or ten minute thing. That's what the people want, I think. I think that <laughs> that we just like talking too much. Um, but anyways, well, uh, I think on that note, we should go ahead and transition over to our interview with Rob. Thank you all again for tuning into our podcast. Thank. I hope that you guys are enjoying it. We've got. We got some big stuff coming y'all's way. The Iditarod's around the corner, and we've got some things coming your way. And I just think you guys need to stay tuned. And 
you know, if you're not paying attention or following us, just do that. I'm not going to like beat a dead horse on that. Um, but thank you all for, for listening to this next episode or this next interview and until next one, enjoy. Right on. Well, righty. So Rob cook, welcome to the mushing Alaska podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm I'm good, thanks. Yeah, again, thanks ever so much for inviting me. It's uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure to be doing this. Right, yeah, man. I I I remember seeing you in uh, must have been Central, and right. and I had seen you on the trail on Birch Creek, and I like you know I, you were like camped out. I don't know you know, and and there wasn't you didn't have like straw. Cause I th- it looked like it was just like you were pulling over for like a reassessment or something, you know? And, right. and then I like got back, you know, then I'm camping my team at this checkpoint and someone's interviewing you. And, uh, and I was just like, like, there's Rob cook. Like, uh, maybe I'll say hi in a little bit, you know? And, uh, and then she's like, the lady's like, so Rob, how was uh birch Creek? And you said, <laughs> I'll never forget this. You said, quote, it's got to be one of the most depressing places on planet Earth. And, <laughs> and that, I just think about that all the time. <laughs> I remember when I, when I first did the, um, the Quest 300 in uh, 2012, as, as you know, in, when you start in Fairbanks, you, 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 you would run on Birch Creek out to Circle and then run back. And I had two great runs. And everybody had said to me, like, Birch Creek, is the worst place in the world. And I thought, what you know, what the hell are you talking about? It was, it was great. And ever since then, I have absolutely hated it. And I, it is, it's the most depressing place in the world. I just hate, I don't know what it is about it, but I just hate being on, being on Birch Creek. I, I never, I've never had a good time on there since 2012. I don't think. Yeah. I kind of had a similar experience where I thought, Oh, this isn't that bad. And, and then I kind of like, we turned around and went back, you know, I was in the 300 and then on the way yeah. on this way back, I was like, all right, this is kind of ridiculous. Cause you just like, I don't know, your perception of like time and like you're squiggling. Yeah. It's like such a squid, you know, it's such a yeah, goes back and forth so much. So like as the crow flies, like it's not that long of a distance, but because the river winds so much. But I don't know. Is it always like you've run the quest so many times, man? I mean, it's like you know is it like almost always 40 below there i mean yeah yeah it's i mean it's it's true what they say it is always 10 degrees colder there than it is in in circle or central um and i don't i don't recall ever being on there when it's not been like minus 30 or minus 40 or something and and it's it's brutal like um and yeah if you you know i remember camping on there in in 2020 and it was just awful it was so cold like I sat there for four hours and I wasn't going to go to I was too yeah I just did not did not want to go to sleep in those temperatures so I just sat there for four hours and you know waited until the dogs had enough rest and then just you know hit the trail it's it's always seems to be brutally colder and like I said it's definitely 10 degrees colder than anywhere else mm. yeah that 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 was uh a really good warm-up for for I did or I for me <laughs> yeah. I was like well yeah. not warm but <laughs> Yeah, it was it uh, that was that was like, man, this is the, that was the toughest three. I don't know, that might have been my toughest three hundred mile. Or I did the Copper Basin; it was really warm, so that was like a whole nother right. 
like I thought like I wanted it to not be cold, but it turns yeah. out sometimes it being 30 below is better than yeah. it being I, I, 40, yeah. you know, above. I, I do think that uh you know, the Quest 300, you know, when it starts in Fairbanks and, you you know, you go over Rosebud and you go over Eagle and then you have to run twice on Birch Creek. I, I think that's way tougher than than Copper Basin. Yeah. Even in a cold, you know, even when it's cold on Copper Basin, I think, you know, you've got some pretty tough runs on that on that Quest 300. I, I remember yeah. the first year I, I ran, Doug Grillio um, was the was the race marshal. And he was saying that he, he thought you should have to qualify for the Quest 300. <laughs> in a Fairbanks start because it was such a it was such a tough race. So yeah, hats off to anybody who finishes that race. Yeah, yeah, those some those summits were uh, particularly sporty. Um, but I don't want to get too lost <laughs> in the weeds here. So the uh, so just your you know come up stories. You worked for the the British Navy, right? Or still maybe yeah. do? Uh, no, no, no. I, I uh, retired in two thousand and nine. Okay, and. Um, and then you moved to, I, I, I read your website a little bit. There's like, I was like, all right, I'm going to do, you know, a little reading. And then it's like, dude, you have some awesome stories there. There's a lot of, a lot of reading to, to be done. Right. I read a story about you having your zipper break in a subpar parka, you know, and, and, uh, dealing with that whole ordeal. And I'm sure, yeah, there's, that's, that's one of many stories, but you moved to Canada, you got, got into the, the dogs um and you know i mike i've always wondered because like i worked for jeff and like we're always bragging about alaskan huskies and how cool they are and whatever they're so fast and blah 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 <laughs> but like like what's up so why what's up with siberian huskies like t t talk to me about that like what's the pro you know um, i've seen your well, dogs moving like on the trail they're freaking fast like <laughs> we uh we had them in the uk so um yeah you're right we came to canada in 2005 predominantly to run to run the quest but we had we've had siberian huskies since 1997 and we used to do dry land sprint in the uk and there were at that time there were there were no alaskan huskies every all racing was was purebred racing so you were you know siberian huskies alaskan malamutes um inuit dogs uh samoids it was just purebred dogs um, and so, yeah, that's what we had nine, nine Siberian Huskies when we came to Canada. And I just, um, I just love the breed They're you know, they're, they're not fast like the Alaskan Huskies, but they are, I mean, obviously they're built for winter conditions. They are really beautiful dogs and they are independently minded. Um, and they, you know, they, they, can be, they can be challenged, they can be challenging sometimes, but, and there was also, you know, Around that time, around 2004, 2005, there was all this, you know, bullshit going on about, oh, Slowberians and, you know, nobody has Siberians anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, people like, um, you know, Mike, Mike and Sue Ellis in particular, but Karen Ramstead and, you know, Blake and Jen Frecking were doing a lot to prove that, you know, Siberians weren't particularly that, that slow. And, um, and that was one thing that, you know, that, that we wanted to do, you know, when I started out racing on the East coast, we were living on the, you know, the East coast, we, we weren't doing particularly well, you know, because we were really learning how to run, how to run sleds. And I, I became determined that, you know, I, I didn't want to be that guy with the slow barriers, you know, we, um, you know, so we learned how to train properly. We kept the same lines that we had, but we learned how to train properly and feed properly. Um, and then, yeah, we, 
um, again, you know, being British and having Siberians, um, I didn't want to come to the quest and, and, you know, and, and fail. I wanted, you know, so, um, I didn't want to give people a reason why, you know, to say why I, you know, maybe I wasn't doing so well. So I spent 2011, 2012, um, I stayed with Lev's Frauts in, in Willow, um, spent six months there to do the qualifying oh, nice. races. And we did, um, it was, a, it was, I mean, the, 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 that winter itself was, you know, things just didn't go well in terms of the, for whatever reasons, in terms of the um, qualifying races for Quest. And I, I'd signed up for the, for the Quest 300 from, you know, it was a Fairbank start year. And it was, I was really just doing it for, for, you know, just to say I'd seen the trail and all of a sudden it became one of the, one of the qualifying races I needed to do. And, and in those days, there weren't many people didn't, there wasn't, you know, there weren't that many people signing up for the Quest 300 because it was a tough race. And I think there was only maybe 14 of us, 11, you know, 12 or 14 teams signed up. And I ended up coming second. And a lot of people were like, holy shit, Damn. you know, what, what is a Siberian team doing coming second? Um, and, and so, you know, I mean, that just added that I just didn't want, I didn't want to come last. I didn't want to, you know, be, be that guy with the Siberians. So, um, so yeah, we've just tried to we've just we've just stuck with them and we've tried to do the best we possibly can. And you know, and from time to time you do get people will, you know, will question, you know, you know, you know, you, oh, you know, why don't you have faster dogs? And it always gives me a lot of pleasure to come ahead of them on the trail. <laughs> you know, people who right. slagged off the dogs to actually beat them. It gives me a lot of, you know, it gives me a lot of pleasure. Yeah. I I and and you know, I figured there's there's always gonna be people that are you know, trying to get their team to the finish line as fast as possible. They go a little bit too fast. They lose their speed yeah. or end up having a scratch. And, yeah. You know, and the, the, and you go right by them and I'm sure you're, I mean, and that's not just the only people you're going by too. And, and, yeah. you know, my, my question about uh, Siberian Huskies is like, what is like, I'm thinking, okay, they're a pure breed, but your all your dogs look different. Like Alaskan Husky right. is like a mutt, mutt in in its in a way. You know, it's pretty broad definition. It has the ancestors, right. you know, and but the ancestors are kind of Siberian Huskies because their ancestors came across the yeah. Bering Land Bridge, and so at some point they go from being Siberian to Alaskan Huskies, and then we're all like, no, Siberians right. are <laughs> like a weaker dog or whatever, and I'm like, but isn't Alaskan Huskies once Siberian Huskies that like yeah you know yeah i find it interesting like um and uh, you know I, I would take exception with you know people who say that alaskan huskies are mutts i think you know i you know you talk to people like jeff and you know and lance in particular and you know and um the the pedigrees behind those dogs and that you know i think um you find with a lot of alaskan drivers they are you know as big on pedigrees if not bigger on pedigrees than than siberians but I, again to your point of, of dogs looking different i mean i think if you you know, you look at Brent's team or Jesse Royer's team, they don't, you know, that, that you couldn't tell them apart, I don't think, from, from you know, from from my team in a lot of cases. It would be hard to to tell them apart. So they definitely, you know, and I, and I think you still need those qualities, you know, that Siberian Huskies, you know, are supposed to have, you know, the tough feet, the thick coats. Um, again, it's, it's always, it always amuses me when we can run at minus 20 and minus 30 without jackets on and you know you see you see some of the more handy type 
dogs coming past you and they you know they've got every item of clothing on they possibly could yeah. to keep them warm and I, I just think that's not for me i'm too i'm too freaking lazy to, to to be dressing dogs up like that all the time yeah yeah we definitely had lots of short-coated dogs at, at jeff's because he he had a couple of his dogs were like a quarter german short hair pointer so yeah you know, we had this dog zig that was she'd wear a jacket and then have like a wind thing like on her neck yeah and then like leggings on her legs and then like flank you know the, the further her flanks she'd have a you know wind protection for her belly and yeah I was like wow she looks like uh it's a lot of work <laughs> yeah I was, it was a pain in the ass getting her on the line I'm like, <laughs> you better be the the bee's knees um yeah i guess like i mean that's my that's my bad you know they're not mutts but you know they are just like there's like the alaskan husky ancestor then yeah. the german short hair pointer mixed in then you've got like whatever the you know european settlers may yeah. have purposely or not purposefully added to the mix um but yeah you know of course i've been trained to say you know they're bred for not their looks <laughs> but their performance their desire yeah. to run and pull their appetite tough feet their coat yeah whatever you know and uh that's a nice script sean <laughs> hey, hey, all right all right i gotta chime in here all right yeah. as as the resident non-mushing guy all right yep. um talk to, talk to me about some key differences between alaskan huskies and the siberian huskies um because it's just interesting to hear you guys get lost on this topic and uh i'm just sitting here kind of wondering to myself like hmm i wonder really how much difference there is so uh maybe maybe sean has some perspective maybe rob you have some as well <laughs> like i said i mean if you look at i mean you look at certain kennels um like again um i mean alan and ali's dogs were really much like this um uh ryan olson's blake's um jesse you know jesse royers jesse holmes I, there's not a when in in terms of looks there's not a huge amount of difference and i think um i mean it's a it's a whole other subject but you want a dog to run long distance that dog needs certain you know certain qualities it needs to it needs a certain length of leg it needs certain you know it needs to portion proportion correctly um and so, you know, I don't think in, in terms of Siberians and some can and a lot of kennels that are doing distance, I don't think there is a great deal of difference. I think maybe if you look at, um, you know, some of Martin Booster's and maybe some of Jeff's, you know, Jeff's dogs as well. There's Martin's seem to stand out. He, he's, I think he bred in a lot more houndier dogs, maybe back in the in the early 2000s. Um, and so I think his his lines are pretty distinctive. They, they have shorter coats. Um, maybe uh maybe their feet are not quite uh are not quite as tough i, I don't know i mean I, i've never run his dog so i'm you know I'm, I'm just i'm just guessing but i mean with with siberians like i said we're looking for a certain a certain length of leg a certain um proportion we want them to have you know they've got double coats so they you know they, they stand they stand up to you know the temperatures really well it's it you know for me to run um my dogs in jackets it really needs to be below minus 30 celsius if you know if it's a, above minus 30 it's getting too warm for them um and so that's a you know that's a huge bonus to be able to run without jackets down to minus 30 when you know i've seen i've seen um 
some um, Alaskan teams where they're, you know, minus four, minus five, they're putting jackets on. And yeah. That's just, yeah. Not, you know, that's not for me. I saw that a um, lot at the, in yeah. the I did a ride around. I'm like, yeah. are you supposed to have jackets on my dogs right now? You know, people have, <laughs> like, at 20, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, yeah. or whatever, minus four Celsius, I guess that is. And I'm like, but, you know, it, it yeah, I guess, like, the wind sometimes. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, your dogs, they got those super thick coats. You know, yeah, yeah that, and and so do some Alaskan Huskies. Oh yeah, but, yeah. You know, so a lot of them have shorter coats, and they yeah. can still stay warm, but they need more calories. Oh yeah, you know. They, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a, that's another thing that uh, I remember when um, I signed up to do. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. It only it only happened one year. It was a it was a, a race from Toke to Eagle and back. I think maybe it was a top of the world three hundred or something. And I was supposed to sign up for it. And I'd sent um, I'd sent my drop bags through uh, Melinda Shaw, uh, who used to do mushing tech. Um, and so she um, she put in my drop bags and Jody Bailey was there and at the drop bags. And she said, wow, this, he's, he's not sending anywhere near enough food. This is like, he's just, you know, and she was only, you know, she only knew Alaskan Huskies. And, and you know, she was really questioning how much food I was I was spending, uh, sending out. But we, you know, we feed probably maybe a half the amount of food that Alaskans have to feed because the wow. dogs are so much more conditioned wow. and, and it's, yeah, that's, it's yeah that's, that's it's awesome that's, <laughs> that's probably like the most important thing you've yeah. said you know like that that just from a financial perspective yeah, dude, yeah. i mean that's the best reason to be running running you know these dogs that have these huge coats and yeah you know they're staying warm they're not yeah. burning as many calories um i posted and, a photo a couple of weeks ago of like we uh we feed um, we feed red poor, so we have to we have to bring nice. it up from down south. We can't we can't just get it here. Um, and so we, you know, I brought in a couple of tons uh, about a, six weeks ago, and I posted a photograph. And I think it was Paige commented, and I said something that this is going to get us through until this should get us through until the end of racing season. And she's she's like, what? Two tons of red poor, two tons of kibble is going to get you through until March. She says, you know, that would only get us a couple of months. I said, no, that's you know, that's the joys of having Siberians. You're feeding us. Nice. A lot less food. Yeah. Yeah. Is so. What, what you're like? How how specific? Because like all these people that are uh, running Alaskan Huskies, you know, like you're not hitting them up to breed with your dogs, right? Like, you know, you got to keep no. your lines separated. Yeah. And yeah, so, that's probably the biggest thing. To yeah, to Brendan's point, that's probably the biggest. The biggest difference is is it, you we we have a completely closed gene pool um which is not which is why i think is why we you know is why siberians are are slower like everybody with alaskans and you know sean you touched on this is you can you know you can breed and people have you know going back to the you know the original alaska sweepstakes people have of bred uh you know whippets and greyhounds and uh european you know euro hounds and and so that people have been able to breed alaskan huskies for speed Whereas we can only, you know, there's only a, a really limited gene pool, you know, going back to those, and it's, they're supposed to go back to the dogs that that Settler brought in for the All-Alaska back in, you know, the early 1900s. Um, and and so, yeah, we, we it's, it's, it's much harder to, to find, um, to find good dogs to breed to. Like, as I said, there's only, there's only recently, there's only really been, you know, Mike Ellis, Blake and Jen Frecking, Karen Ramstead, um, Hank DeBrune. Um, so there's been very few people who've been doing distance. Um, and so it's hard to find 
really good fast dogs to breed to. So yeah, that, that's probably the biggest difference is we have a completely closed gene pool. Our, the dogs we breed to are supposed to be registered Siberian Huskies, you know, registered with one of the kennel clubs. Um, <laughs> whereas with Alaskans, you can, you know, you can breed um, to, to any dog you want. I, mean, I, I have had people approach me in the past who wanted to use our dogs um, on their Alaskans um, to try and introduce, you know, to bring back some of the qualities such as tougher feet and um, and thicker coats. And again, it's not it's something. It's actually not something that we're allowed. We're supposed to do, you know, being part of the kennel club. We're not supposed to. Oh. We're not supposed to be able to do that. So yeah. So let me let me ask a follow up on that. Um, it sounds as if the Siberians you're a little maybe more selective because not all of them are a certain size. You, you kind of were talking about having a certain size, whereas like the, the uh, Alaskan Huskies, like they're kind of like, they're all kind of race ready or potentially race ready. Or is, is that not correct? Um, yeah, I, I guess in, in, I guess in a way, I think, like I said before, you still to get a dog, from you know, from um, from Anchorage to to Nome, I think a dog has to have certain certain qualities, and one of those is got to be efficient. Um, and to be efficient, you need I think you need a certain length of leg. The, the, you know, you need a certain proportion. So you can have you can have varying heights, but you know, um, a dog with really short legs and a really you know a really long body isn't going to be isn't going to be very very efficient. Um, and so, like I said, if I was to put up photographs of, you know, one of my dogs, um, and I, I've done this in, <coughs> in presentations before the proportions are basically the, the, the dogs may have difference in height and size and coloration, but proportionally they look very similar and you're looking for that, that efficiency, but you, you're right. I mean, I've seen particularly with more, I think with sprint dogs, I've seen some huge some really huge dogs, you know, some Eurohounds can be really, <coughs> can be really, you know, big. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're definitely looking for a certain, you know, we, we're looking for certain attributes when, when we breed. <coughs> I mean, mostly are, you know, mostly now, because we've been breeding for so long, we're, we're mostly looking for attitude, um, you know, desire, work ethic and things like that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm guessing that's going to be the same with with Alaskan kennels, Sean, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're breeding for all those like mental things, and of course, but also like the physical, the tough feet. Like you know, I've worked with dog teams that have you're battling feet issues from September all the way through Iditarod, yeah. and I've worked with teams where I didn't think of their feet one time all winter yeah. long. And, you know, and then you've got dogs that you, they, maybe you're breeding dogs for a good appetite, but maybe you're breeding dogs because they don't really need to eat much and they are always fat, you know? So, you know, right, yeah. those, those kind of things. Um, and of course, like desire and drive to run, but then there's like, just because a dog's screaming and barking and pulling really hard doesn't make them a great sled dog necessarily, yeah. you know, like, yeah, you're good. do it for a thousand miles and then get back to us, you know? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, so you've you've run the quest uh, so many times. It's not happened in the last few years, which I'm sure you're like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, ready ready to get back out there. But you get you're gonna run a thousand miles one way or another this this winter. Um, but you know that trail is 
it's so uh hardy you know i think riley dyke he said you know the the iditarod is um harder to compete in and place high but the quest is probably harder to get to the finish line was what his take on it was um and you know I, I there's always this like ongoing conversation about the differences between those two races and the similarities too. You know, I think right. the big the biggest one, Brendan, is gotta be, you know, the checkpoint count. You know, you got the same distance, you've got half the checkpoints. Yeah. Um, so that can't but that's you know, camp go and camp your dog team, you know, a couple times between checkpoints, yeah. you know, a good musher, that's not even a big deal, you know. Um yeah. But yeah, what is like, what do you, what is your, like, what, what is the lure of the quest? Cause clearly you love that race because you've been in it yeah. so many times you sign up to suffer yeah, over and over. <laughs> I mean, I, I just want to go back to, to your first, but I mean, a lot of people, people say that, oh yeah, the quest is tougher than the Iditarod. And you know, Sean, you know better than me that the Iditarod can be when the Iditarod wants to be, it is a tough, tough race. I, I think they're both, you know, they, they both, got their pros and they've both got, you know, they've both got their cons. Um, why I love the quest, I I, I think um, because it is fewer checkpoints, um, because you, um, it is more, it is more remote. I think the the first time I did Iditarod, I think 2015, uh, I think that was the year there was maybe 80 or 90 teams and the, the quest had been something like 15 teams. And so like, like 20, 2015, um, 20, the 2015, quest i was uh i was ended up last and i I've, i left dawson the, the team that was behind me scratched it was super it was a super cold year and there was like eight or nine teams had scratched before uh in the first 400 miles um and so i left dawson i thought there was a team behind me but effectively i was i was in last place and i didn't see another dog team for until i got to the finish line so you know over 500 miles without seeing another dog team on the Iditarod, like, uh, and we started in Fairbanks that year. It was, again, it was a cold, it was a cold year, but like I said there was eighty to ninety teams, and every time you stopped, you were just surrounded by surrounded by teams. Like you, and it was, you know, you'd camp, and there were teams everywhere. You get into a checkpoint. Like I didn't stop in the first two checkpoints because you know from, I think it was Squentner. I was a mile away from Squentner, and I could just hear the dogs in the checkpoint, oh just the screaming of the dogs. That's and just I just like, I'm not stopping there. You know, we went on about another 10 miles before, before we camped. And even in, I remember even in, um, even in white mountain that year. So like 900 miles into the race, there were so many teams and it's just, I just prefer being on my own. I prefer, you know, if I want to stop and snack the dogs, I don't, I don't need 20 teams around me with all the dogs trying to dive in and steal my snacks. And yeah. And so I think that's, that's the appeal. It's, it's, you know, it's, and it, and, and every, it's the same with Iditarod. Every every year is different. Every year on the quest, there was um, there was a you know a, a different challenge. Like the first year, twenty thirteen, it was like it was warm, it was easy. Uh, I couldn't you know, and I've said this many times that maybe if I got to the finish line and thought, what you know, what was all the fuss about? Why has everybody said this is the toughest race in the world? And maybe if that had been tougher that first year, I wouldn't have been an idiot and, and gone back because every year after that, something. <laughs> You know, like I said, 2015 was brutally cold. 20, I don't know, I get confused over the years. 2017, Brian, Brian Wilmshurst and I had a nightmare. We got caught in a storm on top of Rosebud. 
2019, we had a we had a mayor on on um, on Eagle Summit. 20, I think 2018 was the year that Riley Riley ran it, and I remember we were camping. Uh, we were camping between Eagle and Clinton Creek, um, and we were camping. At, you know, we camped high above 40 mile, and it was minus 50, and it was it was brutal. I mean, we were just there was myself. Riley and Dave Dalton. We just spent the whole time like trying to feed the fire to keep us to keep us warm. And, you know, 2020, the race warmed up, and I ended up in a in a ton of overflow. You know, some of the worst overflow I've ever. So every every year is is different. But it, you know, the same with Iditarod. Every every year is you know different on Iditarod. And like I said, you you know you you like how, how close were you to the finish line when you hit that? You yeah. know, just outside safety and to hit those conditions just outside safety. Yeah. It makes me laugh when people try to say that Iditarod is easy because it is absolutely not not easy. And, and probably the worst part of Iditarod is the, is those final three hundred miles. You know when you know when things to start getting easier. So, yeah, 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 that is that is true. And my my heart broke for you. You know, watching watching Dude. you guys. You know, just outside safety it was just heartbreaking to see what was what was going on. Yeah, there was there was some Ricky moments in there, but it was also you know <laughs> some pretty wild overflow, uh, and it was yeah. crazy. I'll never forget like lifting up from the helicopter and driving. You know, we're going straight to Nome right over the trail, and you just see like literally like several hundred of these like lakes of overflow that yeah. we were got stuck in like three of them. You know, and we were like, all yeah. right, we got through one. Like, I think we're we're out of it now. It turns out we would have been doing that for ever yeah. um but i mean you say yeah. it was a rookie mistake it's not it's not a rookie, rookie, rookie i mean you had matt with you i mean one of the most yeah it's you know there. i mean christ yeah you just get like i think the rookie aspect of it for me was like just like uh you know i'm immediately like i my legs get numb and i'm like all right like i need to scratch right now you know instead of like all right yeah. why don't i just take my like clothes off and get my sleeping bag and sleep like take a nap the dog like it was right. fucking 25 above you know flight fahrenheit you know your dogs are fine they don't need straw for a two-hour nap in that temperature yeah. and just take a you know hindsight 2020 whatever but you know just take a breather for a second and wake up to the sunshine and see what is your situation yeah. actually because it's like yeah. four in the morning and we're just like no idea you know how bad or good this situation is but yeah, yeah. matt's no rookie yeah. you know no meyer isn't a rookie um but you know yeah it's you just kind of you th those head spaces you get in when you're sleep deprived oh, and cold and yeah. it's like yeah you just start to panic pretty quickly yeah you know and i just wish i would have stayed yeah. a little more even keeled a little bit maybe right. but yeah you know a lot of people's races end in that in that section of trail you know it happens yeah the next couple of years to some rookies yeah oh yeah yeah so uh you know we we're talking about the yeah, did rod and it has me thinking related to you rob uh like kind of taking us back a little bit to like how you even got into mushing you know um i i, I know that you were doing it over in the uk uh, and doing the dry land stuff but yeah, like where where did where does mushing even begin for you? Uh, I, I mean, it goes back to to really being in the in the military, and I was um, 
I was tra- I was going away a lot, um, and and um, I w- we wanted a dog uh, to keep my wife company when I was when I was going away at sea, um, and we also we used to do a lot of mountaineering, and so we wanted you know we wanted dogs that could come mountaineering with us um, when I was back in the you know when I was back in the UK, um, and um, my wife's father sent us a photograph of uh, a dog in a backpack. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's got to be the dog for us. If a dog put a backpack on it, it can carry its own weight and carry its own food. Um, and it was, a, it, you know, and it was a husky and we thought, you know, you know, it's going to be able to withstand the conditions we're going to, you know, we're going to see up on top of the mountains. Um, and so um, we ended up, um, you know, thinking that that was, that was the dog for us. Um, and at the time, this, like, so this was 1996, 1997. It was pretty hard to get hold of Siberian huskies in the UK. Um, you needed to get rec- you needed to know people who had them and you needed recommendations. Breeders just wouldn't sell them to you. Um, and so we were put in touch with some people who lived fairly near us and they had um, they had about 10 Siberian huskies. And, and so they came to visit us and make you know to, to assess us to make sure that we were suitable and we went to their their kennel a few times. Um, and they said, you know why you know we they used to do dog shows and to keep their dogs in condition for dog shows, they would run them on a three-wheel rig. And they said, you know, why don't you, um, you know, come along, come along with us and, and see, you know, and I looked at it and I thought, wow, this looks like a, a lot of fun. Um, and huskies are, you know, the, you know, they are like, like most dogs, I guess they're pack animals. So you can't just get one, you need two. And so I got two and we, we got a cart to train them to keep them fit. Um, and we went to a race and I did one race and I was hooked. I just, um, you know, we, we pretty much stopped mountaineering, um, and we we had at the time we had two Siberian Huskies and so I wanted more, um, and we you know to and it was the the intention was just to do this dry land sprint racing in the UK. So it was only like you know three or four miles on a three wheel cart going around forest trails on a Saturday morning, and then it was about two thousand and three two thousand and four, and this really showing my age. The, the internet was was really in its infancy, and I remember following this race. You know, we, we would follow the Iditarod, and I remember looking, finding this other race called the Yukon Quest, and there was a guy on his rookie year called Lance Mackey, and I like read his bio. And I thought, wow, if this guy can, you know, if this guy can can run dogs, I can, you know, I can do it. And I just thought, you know, can I take my own dogs and go and run this race? And <clears throat> and and it, yeah, and I managed to get, <clears throat> I managed to get an exchange posting in the Canadian Air Force. Uh, three-year exchange posting so we, we came to Canada with the dogs and the intention always was to try and you know to try and do the Yukon quest so when um when I was recalled after three years I said no this is not I'm not going back to the UK I fell in love with Canada I loved by by this time we were doing mid-distance racing and I loved it and that was yeah we just stayed in Canada and then slowly made our way to like I said to Alaska and then to the Yukon <laughs> That's uh, an interesting story. I have a couple of follow-up questions for you on that. So um, first thing I'm wondering is, is dry land mushing, is there a scene for that in the UK? Is that, is it big? Is it, is it like huge or? Yeah, it was, yeah it's, it's surprisingly, surprisingly big. The biggest race we would, we would do every year is, um, was Aviemore. And I believe this year is actually going to be the final one, which is pretty sad, but it was up in the, in the Cairngorms, up in the Highlands of Scotland. And like I said, like I said before, it was only purebred dogs. It was only purebred teams that were allowed and you would get in excess of 200 teams, um, racing. So, you know, it was, it was massive. Um, but we could, um, we could race pretty much if we wanted to every weekend from November through until, um, through until, 
um, March. And there were, there were different race organizations. There was like the Cyberian Husky Club of Great Britain, the Cyberian Husky Club of uh, Scotland, um, the, the British Siberian Husky Racing Association, and all these different there. So there were probably five or six different race organizations. Um, and they would operate in different parts of the country. So you could, if you wanted to, you could travel every weekend um, to different races. And, and, you know, some races you'd, you'd only maybe have 10 or 15 teams. But like I said, the Abbey Moor race, there'd be 200 teams there. There'd be other races where you get 50 or 60 teams. So, yeah. And it's still a, it's still a big thing. You know, it's still a big thing now. Um, so, yeah, it was a really big, a really big scene, I, I guess. So, yeah. And uh, while we're on that topic, I'm curious, is there a standard amount of dogs in, in terms of those races that you're allowed to have? I think you said three. Is that is that the usual it's, size or? Um, there were different there were different classes and you, you would compete in, in different classes so that you'd have at that time. It was two dog class, three dog class, four dog and six dog. Um, and I think um, now these days um, you can, there's also scooter classes with one and two dogs. Uh, and I think um, there's also an eight dog class. And, and these are, these rigs are, are really lightweight, but, you know, people want the rigs to be as light as possible. And, and it's, I think it's suicidal. You know, I used to find six, six challenging, but eight on a lightweight rig, I think you, you need, you need some pretty good leaders. You know, you need them to stop when you, when you tell them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm assuming they're going maybe a little bit faster than 10 miles an hour. Uh, yeah, yeah, you look at, you know, you're up to like 25, 26 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, that is terrifying. I'm, I, even if I go like, I don't know, my, when I first started working for Jeff, he was like, dude, if you run my dogs too fast, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. so like, for like, I couldn't go over like in my brain, I just couldn't go over eight miles an hour for like yeah. ever you know and, and then yeah it took it took me so like if i go 14 miles an hour down a hill or <laughs> yeah. whatever i'm like oh my god this is you know and to think 26 i'm like oh god yeah uh, that's terrible. i think that, that always amuses me like people think that we're trying to go as, as fast as possible and you, you know you talk to somebody say oh you know what are you doing in training i said well i never go over eight eight miles an hour this is that's that's ridiculous I said, it's not, that's what, you know, that's what the people, the successful people are doing. They're, they're training their dogs to run at eight miles an hour or nine miles an hour, but they're making it happen for a thousand miles. And it was an interesting point you you said earlier on. Like, I remember like Copper Basin, I think is a, is a quality race. You, the first hundred miles at Copper Basin, you see these teams, they come flying past you. And, the, yep. you know, and if you, if you let, if you let it, it, beca- it can be quite demoralizing. But, you know, I, I realized after a couple of years that, 150 miles into the race you're going to be passing them and they're going to be sat by the trail and they don't know how to get their dogs going and, and again you, you also you mentioned this before that once the speed's gone the speed's gone you're not getting that you know unless you're somebody like john chandlermeyer or something you're not getting that speed back you've screwed it for the rest of the race mm-hmm. yeah that that is that is uh true and i i when i ran that copper basin that was like teams were dropping like flies i think it was like yeah almost half of them scratched and yeah. I had like a super young team and, uh, see, we, dude, we lost our speed for sure. You know, we were down to like right. at the fastest six miles an hour right. and I just never mushed at six miles an hour. And it was just like, you know, that's like a big, I mean, you're adding like three hours to like your run. Yeah. Time, you know, like that. It's, yeah. it's a, what you think is, oh, it's a 50 mile run or 60 mile run. Like that'll be like seven hours. It's like, no, now it's 10, you know? 
and yeah. that's that's like it's demoralizing in itself and then you know I, rem- I remember i learned the lesson of like don't call up your dogs unless you really 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 need it because i like yeah. did it yeah. i was like you know i'd be going up the the hump or whatever you know yeah. and i'd be like all right guys good job and then then it goes up and i'll be like oh sick that's kind of cool and then i did it like you know the next round and they're like look back like dude this is our speed now. Like we're not going any yeah. faster than this. So you can kindly shut the hell up. And I was like, all right, fair enough. You know? Um, but yeah, that, that was, uh, I didn't see like any country that whole race. Cause it was just white out the whole right. time. And yeah. I'm like, I'm sure it's beautiful, but I didn't see anything at all the whole time. Um, I remember 2018 I've handled for that Yukon quest for Alex Buto and, uh, yeah yeah I, I was i was very cold just from and i was the guy that got to go into the heated truck when i got cold you know yeah. it's like dawson cd was like 40 below the whole time you know like every checkpoint was like 30 40 below and yeah that was yeah i was just thinking of thinking of that experience when you were talking about that and uh and then you said like 80 and 90 mushrooms that's like i i, I like wasn't around mushing back then right. and i never i've never seen it i did around over 50 you know and right. that's just such an insane amount like i was when i ran for with 40 mushers i thought that was pretty like yeah. that was pretty crowded <clears throat> you know and then I'm, I'm thinking what is the difference like what do you think about like the the loneliness of you don't get to see your homies at the checkpoint as far as like your handling team you know your wife or whatever or whoever you know and the iditarod you can see some other yahoos that are in the iditarod sure right but you're not seeing you know your crew yeah i think that's an, that's another yeah that's another good point actually which um i isn't isn't focused on enough i think they like that if you have a good hand well you know from handling for alex if you have a, a good handling team they can make they can really make a difference to come into a checkpoint and see a happy smiling face somebody who's you know a friend a friendly face and they can make that you know they can really change your attitude and and you're right you don't get that on the idea right you, you see other mushers and there's obviously a lot of volunteers but it's just not it's not the same having having a really good handling you know a really good team of handlers can make a you know make a, a massive difference so you know, I had um, you know James Wild, who's you know he's in the he's in the army. He came across a number of years, and he was like he was fantastic. He just knew we just he just knew me. You know, he was it was like this sort of I don't know psychic psychic link, you know, between us. He knew when to lift me. He knew when to leave me alone. And it, and it does it makes a it makes a massive difference. You know, on the on the quest, you have that stretch where you leave Dawson, um, and you've got the remote checkpoint in Eagle. Which is I think is 100, 140 miles, and then you have 160 miles from Eagle to Circle, and so you've got 300 miles where you, you're not seeing your your checkpoint crew, and then to come into Circle and see your checkpoint crew, it just it just lifts you, and you know you've just spent you know I talk about how bad Birch Creek is, but you know you just spend 300 miles on the Yukon River, or pretty much 300 miles on the Yukon River, and that can be pretty that can be pretty demoralizing. So to, to then see your checkpoint crew your, your handlers is yeah that's that's that is a big difference which I, I, people don't realize i mean you can you can have your handlers or your family fly out to checkpoints but it's bloody ex, you know it's bloody expensive 
you know, on our on our Ditter rods. So yeah, that, that's a big that's a big plus that people don't you know people don't think about. Hmm. Um, so you have and a lot of incredibly accomplished dogs, and I think you also have <clears throat> a couple of pretty funny names. Like I I learned <laughs> that the word Ash <laughs> is spelled A R S E in British for you. <laughs> Uh, and a B I saw, I remember like two years ago, seeing a Facebook video of one of your lead dogs. And I think we talked about this in a previous podcast. I was talking about your dog, one of your lead dogs that you put in wheel on the back of the team and the whole team's just cranked up to go barking and screaming, except for one dog, this lead dog, he's always in lead and put him in wheel. Yeah. And he, and he would literally wouldn't even look at, like, just wouldn't even look at you would look at the ground oh, down yeah. to the left and was like, screw yeah. you, dude, this is some bullshit. You know, yeah. I'm a leader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean the, the names, um, yeah. I mean, ass face and cock wombo. I mean, part, then there's lard ass and there was a uh, bolox was, uh, was another one from that litter. And it just, I mean, the, 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 the complaints you get on social media, it's hilarious. And that's, you know, that part of the reason is, is to get, you know, is to, is to piss people off on social media. And it's like, I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, it's slightly, slightly different. Um, we, well, I think it was the third litter we bred. We called them atheists. We called, you know, called them after atheists. And so there was one was after Christopher Hitchens and one was Richard Dawkins. And there was a post after the, I think it was after the 2015 Iditarod where somebody said on social media that she thought I had fantastic looking dogs, but she could never support me and she could never support my dogs because I was an atheist and I called them after atheists. And so I wasn't giving them the spiritual support that they required. And the dogs, this person couldn't get it through their head. The dogs just don't, the dogs don't give a shit what they're called. They don't, you know, they don't care. A dog, you know, I think, you know, from my perspective, like a dog needs a dog's name needs to be simple it just needs one or two um one or two syllables so our face is perfect you know two two syllables and uh two i mean two quicks to one of those going back to copper basin one of the other reasons we do it is as you know when you put in your bios for races um they, they always ask what your lead dog's names are um and uh i can't remember which year it was at copper basin but i put down that our face and Cockwomble were going to be my two leaders. Um, and so they nobody ever reads these before they, they hand them over to the announcers. And Copper, oh as you know, Copper God. Basin is, is in Glen Allen. It's a really religious community. You can't, you know, you can't buy alcohol actually within the confines of the community. So many churches, such a religious community. And not only did the announce, you know, this was also going out on, on local radio and on it was going out on the internet worldwide. And the announcer. He read out, you know, that Rob's lead dogs are Cockwomble and Arseface. And it was just so funny. <laughs> it, and the, the same happened on the quest. But on, on the quest, it was, that must have been 2018 as well, because it was starting Fairbanks. And it was, I don't know, I don't know if you remember Ryan Hughes, who was a big volunteer. He was, he was, um, he's one of, he was one of Brent's big, big sponsors, but he was also, he was the president of the quest for a while. And he was, you know, he was doing the announcing that year, announcing the start. And he he took great pleasure in announcing the fact that Ars Face and Pop Womble were on the team. So yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. I mean, the, the names are meaningless. It, it amuses it amuses me and it offends some people. And so I think that's I think that's good. Good. I like I like you sometimes you just gotta offend some people. That's that's what I you know, oh, that's yeah. their that's their problem. But the yeah. uh 
why don't you highlight a couple a veteran dogs that probably have like seven 1000 mile races under their belt and b maybe some uh, a couple of uh up and coming younger dogs or maybe just a cool story of a dog that you thought was like probably shouldn't be on my team and then did really well or carried us or whatever uh yeah i think we've got um i'd have to go back and look there's definitely two dogs which have finished uh nine 1000 mile races they've obviously retired now nutter and uh nutter and looney so there was our second litter with the crazes um and there were five in the litter and it was maddie psycho nutter looney and skits um and they were the core of my team for for a long time like i said nutter and nutter and looney finished 9,000 mile races, but their, their litter mates, I think bet- between the litter, there's something like 40 or 42,000 mile finishes between them. Um, and three of them, I mean, they are, they're 14 years old now. So three of them are still, still with us. Um, the, the female from that litter, Maddie, she's, she's the one you were talking about before. She was, um, she was my main leader, the best leader I ever had. She she pretty much ran. We wouldn't have finished the fifteen and the seventeen quests if it not if it not been for her. She on the fifteen quest she ran about five hundred miles in single lead when no other I couldn't get any other dog to lead. She was in single lead and she was she was the one. She would get so pissed off with me if she wasn't in mm-hmm. lead and if I put her in wheel. She and that the I remember it was I think it was twenty seventeen. I had females in heat and so I could you know you know what it's like. If you got females in heat, you either put them at the front of the team. Um, or where the males can't get to them, or you put them at the back of the team where you can get to the males before they can the males can get to them. So I, I had, she wasn't in heat, but she was running next to a female in heat. So I had her in wheel, and she was so angry with me. She would get so pissed off with me if she wasn't in, in lead. And to put her in wheel was just the ultimate insult. And she wouldn't look at me. It was yeah, um, up and coming. <clears throat> so so that was that was Maddie. Uh, we we bred her twice. My three main leaders. For this winter are puppies from her and they've been my they've been my main leaders since about 2018 um so that's benny wiz and in fact lucy's not racing this year she's just had puppies and then up and coming again there's a, we had a litter of five again from maddie um and they were named after the avengers my wife was getting pissed off with with the swear words for for names so they were stark banner wanda natasha and parker and I think That's all cool. five of those, they're really good. They're really good leaders. And so they are the youngest that we have in training. They're, they're still four years old, but I think they're all going to be on, on the race team this year. Um, a dog that um, I can't think, I can't think of a dog which, um, I, I mean, there's there's one from the swearers litter. So uh, Lazarus, lazy ass. Um, from that from that swear is litter he was um he was technically dead i guess when he was when he was uh, when the litter was born and you know we worked on him for about 10 minutes and actually managed to revive him uh, and he again he's turned into a, a great leader he finished the quest in in 20 2020 um and so yeah i, I guess he's uh he's a good story um yeah that's a, that is amazing <clears throat> So we probably have about 10 minutes left before we wrap things up. And, uh, you know, I wanted to, to bring up the Iditarod, you know, it's been five year hiatus since, since you've been in the race. Um, have you been mainly focusing on 
Canadian races or has there been uh, like, do you, any reason behind that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's going to be interesting. Like 2018 was the last time I did, I did a rod. And um, again, I mean, that was the, that was the year Alex ran the, ran the quest. You know what the quest was like, that was a tough year. And I was, the dogs were in good shape at the end of the quest. And I wasn't, I was mentally done. Uh, I should never, we should never have gone to Iditarod. And again, I talked about the handler, James, we were at the, we were back at, we were at the Willow start and I turned around to him and I said, I don't want to start. Like we were minutes away from, and I said, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this race. And that was, I, so I started the race and he, he thought I was joking. I, I really wasn't. I, I should have not started the race. I was, my, my attitude was so bad. Um, and, you know, we scratched, um, we left uh, Coltag. Is it Cold Tagger? Yeah. Um, and got to um, Tripod Flats cabin and I sat in that cabin and I thought, I just don't want to be here anymore. I'm not going any further. So I hit the button, turned around and, and went back to Cold Tag and scratched. And I figured then I'd, I'd had enough of racing. I didn't want to race anymore. Um, and then I, uh, you know, I did go and do the quest again in 2019 and 2020. Um, and then, and um the, the, pre, the three Iditarods that we'd done, so 15, seven, 15, 16, and 18, we'd always run the quest beforehand. And I thought, you know, I wondered what it would be like to um, to actually just do the Iditarod without having run the quest beforehand. So, you know, I was going in with a better frame of mind. Uh, the dogs may not be in quite such good shape, but I, I would be in a better frame of mind. So we signed up, I think, for the Iditarod in 2021, I think it was, and then ended up not going. We didn't have a good training year um uh yeah things weren't going well and i wasn't prepared to take a, a you know a, a not prepared team um to iditarod and then last winter i just took the winter off completely we did some training i probably did maybe eight hundred seven five no seven eight hundred miles training but i and it was so nice to take a full the winter before i'd, I'd done the quest we we tried to do copper basin i ended up not running copper basin i scratched on the quest 300 um just again my my mind wasn't in the right place and so I took last winter off completely and just did we did some training some fun um and I think you know I think I'm in a better place mentally to you know and that's why we signed up for for Iditarod this year I, I you know I think I'm in a better place mentally we'll, we'll see how it you know we'll see how it is when we get to March it's still a long it's still a long way off but you know we, training's been going all right we started training in in May um and we have and we've been taking it really easy i mean i think individual dogs have got about 70 70 training runs on them at the moment and they've got just over a thousand miles which is which is okay but we've been like i said we've been taking it really easy you know training all the way through the summer um and now you know now things are going to start ramping up trying to get some camping trips in um um, we're also yeah we're going to do the Cusco as well. Um, oh yeah, maybe the Two Rivers Two Hundred, and depending on how finances are going and and how things go with Iditarod, I'd, I'd like to do Cobuck as well. This I've said this so many times before. I, I think this is going to be my final thousand mile thousand mile race. If if, I, if Iditarod goes all right, um, this is a whole new bunch of dogs. None of some of these dogs. We're on the 2018 team and they got as far as you know they got as far as tripod flats which is whatever that is 700 700 miles but none of these 
none of these are finishes. So it's going to be nice to try and get as many new dogs to the finish line. Um, and then, you know, there's a bunch of races down south that I'd like to, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to go back to the Can-Am, which is a fun race in Fort Kent. Uh, I never did the Bear Grease. That would be a fun one to do that. Um, the Canadian Challenge I'd like to try and do. So, yeah, I mean, just, I think this will be the final, hopefully this will be the final thousand mile race here and then we'll just do some shorter races. Um, and it's also, I'm, you know, I'm 57 and it gets harder and harder to motivate yourself. Like I was, like yesterday, I did a, I did a six hour, no, I did a five hour run yesterday uh, and I got home at nine o'clock at night. Then I had to make supper. Then I had to feed the dogs. I needed to go. And, I live off grid, so then I needed to go and cut some wood. And I didn't get to bed until two o'clock this morning. I'm too. I'm too old for this shit. I just you know, <laughs> uh, taking last winter off was nice. Um, so yeah, to, to to have an intense winter this winter will be good. But then to to ramp things back and do some shorter racing, hopefully next winter. Yeah, every every musher has said it before as my last my last idea ride. Yeah. My last is, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and then you see him again next year. But uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, that sounds like you sound pretty serious about it. And we learned about some of these, uh, you know, races to the south of you from talking to Connor uh, last week. Right, and, yeah. uh, and I also just wanted to real quick touch on like you're in a pretty like an incredible company of mushers and dogs those dogs that did it to have run the yukon quest 1000 and finished that and then gone and on to finish the iditarod and and the end of the yukon quest is like what like two weeks from the start of the yeah. iditarod and yeah it's about two weeks yeah yeah you know, that's that is it's a an amazing turnaround you know, some people might argue that the dogs are in better shape going into the Iditarod oh, yeah. having done that than um, having not done that. And Lance Mackey kind of made that super famous to have gone on and won yeah. two uh, quests and then two Iditarods the same year, yeah. four of each in a row too. But yeah, yeah. what talk about running the Yukon quest. And then two weeks later, I did a ride. And okay, yeah. Well, we. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, this is. Uh, I, it's definitely bragging. We're, we're still. We're the only Siberian Husky team that's ever finished both in the same winter. And we did, like I said, we did it in 2015 and 2016. Mike Ellis came really close in 20 in 2014. But yeah. So, and you're right. It's it's, it's good company. I think I was the 32nd person ever to ever to do it. And there's not been that many more since um it's it is definitely better i mean people think you know people's first reaction is oh it must be cruel for the dogs but it's really it's really not two weeks you know you have to keep the dogs ticking over in that in that two weeks time but you're starting the race with dogs which are in condition they are you know they are race ready they're not so likely to get injuries i don't think it's it's really uh it's really the musher who who is the weak link and i remember in 2015 um it was yeah it was a white horse start year on the quest so we finished in fairbanks and it was also that was i said that was a year we actually started in fairbanks so we had to be two weeks wasn't enough to stay in fair it was too long to stay in fairbanks so we drove home back to white horse which is like a 14 hour drive and then 
Then we had to drive, yeah, we had we still had the ceremonial start in Anchorage. So we still, you know, two weeks later, we had to drive to Anchorage for the ceremonial start. Then they gave us a couple of days to drive up to Fairbanks to for the actual real restart. And we there was a we got caught in this unbelievable storm through Denali. It was incredible. There were like trucks off the road everywhere. Anyway, I I remember like I like I was having like I couldn't after the after the 2015 quest, I was having like nightmares every night, like these constant nightmares about, you know, you're in, you could be doing exams at school or you could be in a road race. There was always a competition. You're always trying to, trying to get somewhere. You're always, you know, each dream was different, but you're always trying to achieve a goal. And I think it was because, you know, like I said, I I came last in the quest that year and the way we, you know, we it, every getting to every checkpoint was just amazing. You know, I, I to say to myself, right, I'm going to get to the next checkpoint and I'm going to scratch. And it, so that's how I got to the finish line. I just said I'd get to the next <laughs> checkpoint but, and, then, and then scratch. So I like I was having nightmares for two weeks after the quest. Every single night, I just wasn't sleeping properly. And they the nightmares stopped two days before the start of the the Iditarod. And that was the first night I slept properly. It was the Thursday before the Iditarod. Um, I, I can't remember what it was like in 2016, but like I said, 2018, I, I just didn't recover. The 2018 race, the 2018 quest had been so tough that I just mentally, I didn't, I didn't recover. And I was just not in a good place at the start of, at the start of Iditarod. And like I said, the dogs are in super good condition. Um, the dogs could easily have finished, um, could easily have finished that race. But I was, you know, I was just done. I think mentally as well my attitude was also starting to reflect on, on, you know, on the dogs mentally as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and for, um, I mean, for like you, you know, you said that Lance twice, you know, won both races that to be, you know, to be, it just shows just what a, what a fantastic dog person he was that, you know, he could just to win one race is amazing, but you know, to do it, to do it back to back twice, and then to be dealing with, you know, all the issues that he was dealing with, you know, the fact that he had to, you know, find ways to keep hydrated and keep his water um, from freezing. And then to win both races back to back is just, yeah, it just shows what an incredible guy he really, you know, he really was, a, a, you know, as a person and as a dog person. Crazy, man. The, the Yeah. Thinking about turning around and running running i mean you get to the finish line of the quest it's like oh all right dude season's over i would yeah. that's what i would want you know and uh, yeah to go yeah. back and right back out into it and it's not going to necessarily be any easier yeah that's yeah. Uh, an, an amazing accomplishment brennan oh uh, no i think uh i think that you know we've hit about an hour and that kind of ending on that Lance story might be a, a nice little spot for us. Um, I usually always like to remind our guests, you know, if anyone of our listeners wants to follow you or support you, um, just give you a moment to promote yourself a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. For, thanks very much. Um, if you send me the link to the, to the, to the podcast, I'll push it out on, on social media pages as well. So, um yeah i mean we um we're kennel i think i think we have 48 dogs at the moment um so it's it's not a it's not a cheap either it's not a cheap evolution 
Um, so you know, any support is 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 great. Uh, I actually put out some. I've been pretty slow this year. I put out a couple of sponsorship posts this morning. So you can um, our website is shaitansiberians.com, and you can find me on social media. Um, I have a you know, personal account, Rob Cook, and a kennel page as well, um, which is again Shaitan Siberian Huskies, I think. Which is the is the Facebook, and I'm, I mostly. I mean, I do have Instagram as well, but I mostly use. I think it's probably an age thing. I mostly use uh, Facebook. I think I don't. I don't have TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even know how that works. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think we do either. And uh, hey, thanks so much for joining us, man, and taking the time to talk to us. And I, I'm looking forward yeah, it's been to. Fun. Yeah, this yeah. this has it's been, been a fun talk. And uh yeah. and I'm looking for, I'll see you in Anchorage in a few months. Um yeah. and yeah, thank you so much, Rob. Mm-hmm.